A very good morning to you. It is uh, Money Talk. It is uh, 16 minutes past eight and we're now joined by our two guests. Uh, as normal on a Friday, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory is with us. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Nice to have you on the show, and uh, good morning also to uh, Shark, who is uh, Asia uh, Chief Economist at BBVA uh, Research. Good morning, Shark. How are you? Good. Uh, good morning, James. Uh, yes, nice to have you both on as we go into uh, a Friday. Uh, it's been an interesting week uh, on the Fed front. Andrew, what do you make of, uh, of it all, and uh, in particular, Jerome's testimony today? First, I would like to make a short comment about uh, Zuckerberg and uh, uh, Mellon fight it out. I love that. It reminds me Oscar Wilde's comment on the other classes in English going hunting. The unspeakable in pursuit of the unmeetable. There you go. Uh, yeah, we're looking, forward to, we're looking forward to that fight if it, if it happens. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, otherwise, we can suggest both of them they go deep sea diving. But I'm sure this is perhaps a little bit a joke in bad taste. Okay, now, uh, Fed funds. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Powell simply reiterated what he said in the last post, the last uh, Fed fund uh, Fed meeting, and that is that they are going to, to hit again with, uh, with another 2%, uh, two, I'll try that again slowly, 225 basis points uh, increases in interest rates. Nothing new. Shark, mm. you, you think that that's going to happen? Yeah, I think that's going to happen. Uh, now they skip this uh, June monetary policy meeting, but we do expect in July they are going to hike interest rate at least by 25 basis points. Uh, whether they are going to make the next move after the summer, because there's no monetary uh, policy meeting uh, during the summer, uh, I think it depends on the data. Okay, uh, but. The chance, I think, that now looks like half-half. So that means uh, from now to the uh, end of this year, we at least have one another interest rate, 25 basis point hike. Uh, then let's see whether the, the U.S. economy can uh, slow down as they expected. Now, apparently, they are overheating now. The Bank of England lifting its key interest rate by half a point to uh, uh, 5% overnight. Uh, Andrew, you're in London at the moment. Uh, what's the feeling there? Is uh, Rishi Sunak uh, having a bit of a panic that he's not going to be able to get inflation under control by the end of the year as he's, uh, as he's promised? Well, the key concern right now is, of course, is uh, very high increases in food prices. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you over there, uh, the previous uh, 18 months that I've been in and out of the UK, food is getting quite expensive. I mean, it is, it is surprising. But that's, an, that's a, literally a, a anecdotological evidence. The important part, which hits most of the local headlines, of course, increases in interest rates. And that is, that is of, uh, of, uh, of a quite a serious concern. And, of course, uh, Sunak said we would love to cut taxes, and we had promised to do so, but we're not going to do so. So, uh, you know, the, the politics of that is also getting, uh, let's say, on top of even the best, uh, uh, let's say, best willing and best wishes expectations as far as policymaking is concerned, yes. So the political pressure um, has been on the Bank of England, do you think, to, to uh, make a 50 basis point cut rather than a, a quarter point? Well, I think it's not so much that the politicians press the Bank of England as is the fact that interest, sorry, that inflation doesn't seem to be on a decelerating mode. So I, I did not, let's say, again, purely anecdotologically, I don't uh, detect 
that somehow the politicians are getting worried and fed up and they say, well, Bank of England, do your duty. The contrary, I think Bank of Duty was quite willing to take the risk of becoming very unpopular by hitting with a 50 as opposed by a 25 increases basis points. Um, Shark, we heard in the uh, in the headlines that um, the Japanese yen uh, is not doing so well at the moment. It's hit 143 against the the dollar. You know, we've heard a lot of talk about a, a revival in Japan. You have any thoughts on on Japan amongst all of this uh, uh, interest rate um, uh, discussion? Uh, are, are things actually going right in Japan, or they've just been lucky so far? Um, of course, they are lucky. <laughs> okay, but at the same time. Uh, if you look at the fundamentals in Japan, we do observe some new, uh, we can see promising trend. Uh, because uh, uh, now people talking about this uh, decoupling or de-risking from China, right? Uh, if you look at uh, the supply chains with China, so Japan, they are in a very important position. So that means on the existing value chain, supply chain, Japan, they provide a lot of the key technologies. They produce a lot of values in Japan, then export to China for China to, to do more assembling or to do more manufacturing things. So when these decoupling things are happening, I expect Japan, they will benefit from this uh, we can see reshoring process. That means a part of the productions, a part of the technology innovation will come back to Japan. So I think that's a very good news for Japan. Uh, at the same time, uh, the other fundamentals in Japan, they also look good in terms of the labor market, uh, in terms of inflation, right? They haven't seen inflation for, for many, many years, but now because of these uh, COVID things, uh, now they have this inflation that provide uh, we can see the precondition for Japan to normalize their monetary policy. But I, for the moment, I think uh, the problem is uh, on the United States side, they continue to hike interest rate, as I discussed. But at the same time, Japan, they haven't seen the show the signal of changing their super easy monetary policy yet. But I, I expect this is going to uh, change, right? The United States, mm. must, they will uh, have the peak of their interest rate. On Japan side, if this inflation continued, if this labor market uh, function well as now, so eventually they need to change their uh, super easy monetary policy. Andrew, there's a, a lot of talk uh, overnight about uh, Modi and Biden and the discussions and the impact upon uh, commercial and uh, and business. Uh, you know, is this a further spreading of uh, of the risk? And uh, you know, it's, it seems like it's something the U.S. really wants to do, doesn't it? Well, there is also talk of uh, very large investments on uh, microchip factories in in India, and uh, with a with a elbow nodding, okay, saying uh, this is uh, further let's say, decoupling from uh, dependence on the local production units in China, okay, as opposed to having local production units away from China. The answer is yes. What, uh, uh, let's say, tickled my fancy much more is the agreement on, uh, on defense and on defense spending. Take a deep breath. India is the third biggest importer of weapons in the world. The third biggest really? importer weapons in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely colossal. And of course, there is enormous pressure on India, I wouldn't say to rearm, but to upgrade and expand, because very quietly, okay, uh, the, the pressure on the Indian Ocean and on the border with China is not going to go away. And 
practically every single Asian economy I know of, except Hong Kong, that doesn't have a, a defense sector, is spending more on armaments. And so is India. And, of course, there was a lot of agreement, particularly with the production of aircraft engines in India by United States companies, as well as the sale to India of, oh, God bless them. I know it's horrible to say all those things, of spy uh, uh, aeroplanes, correction, drones, spy drones. Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm. So, are you, you know, suggesting that uh, a good investment at the moment then is is defence companies around the world? Unfortunately, I know this sounds uh, morally reprehensible, but uh, I'm afraid uh, I'm here to tell my clients where potential money can be made and then uh, pass by them. Uh, I'll stand absolutely firm on my forecast that in the last year and a half, the fantastic increases in defence spending is clearly viewed on practically all the major and minor European, as well as United States, as well as Indian, uh, sorry, as well as Asian defense companies, they are outperforming the S&P consistently. They are not necessarily doing individually well, but as an investment uh, opportunity or project, okay, I, I stand absolutely by that, because also it is completely irrelevant with increases in interest rates. Remember, defense companies spend... Uh, sorry, sell most of their goods to governments. And governments are notoriously not affected by increases in interest rates. Mm. So this is, this is, uh, this is quite uh, a, an important consideration to keep in mind. Yes. Now, fin- Financial Secretary Paul Chan says Hong Kongers should spend more to uh, boost the economy. Uh, exports uh, are down at the moment. The Chinese economy looking, not looking so good either. Uh, Shark, what, what are your thoughts here? Uh, it is true. If you look at the, uh, Hong Kong's export, I think uh, 90% they are the re-export from China. And uh, now uh, it's not only for China. All the major Asian economies, they suffer this uh, serious slowdown in their export sector. The problem is uh, uh, during the pandemic, the United States and Europe, they have bought a lot of uh, goods during that time. And they cannot produce that one uh, during the uh, pandemic, so they import a lot from uh, Asian economies. But unfortunately, now the the the, the trend already turned because uh, in the United States, with the reopening of the society, people start to consume more service rather than goods. Mm. So then, on the side of the Asian, okay, we cannot uh, export uh, as more as before. And especially if you look at these uh, computers, if you look at these uh, laptops, these uh, uh, mobile phones, uh, all they suffer a great decline in export. Right. So I think that we need time. Of course, these uh, cycle things, we need time to recover. So similar things apply to China, apply to Hong Kong. So that's why we need to consume more, okay, <laughs> to boost the local right. economy. Yeah. Right. Uh, Andrew, what's going on with China's economy at the moment? Why, why is it taking so, so long to come back, would you say? Uh, you know, I have, uh, it's not a theory. I have been progressively working on this. You know, there is the long COVID effect. In other words, after you recover from COVID, you carry on feeling really rotten. You carry on feeling mm. without having specific, <laughs> let's say specific uh, pointed symptoms. In other words, people don't feel well. Mm. I am absolutely convinced that both the Chinese and the Hong Kong economy having the equivalent of long COVID in economics. In other words, yeah, not too bad things. No, not particularly well. You know, I'm putting a whining a little uh, uh, action right. to, my, to, to, my, to my voice here 
to express that you look at the numbers, they're not particularly bad, but they're not particularly good. And, of course, investors have taken sort very important notes for that. For me, one of the most important pulse of the Chinese economy in terms of what I call the long COVID in economics is to look at what's happening to prices in uh, prices of new houses in 70 important Chinese cities. And nearly for 14 months, count them, they have been negative. They have been coming down. In other right. words, the fact that uh, in November all COVID restrictions were lifted. Okay, uh, we are more than six months away now, plus six months away from all these nine months. Okay, and uh, uh, nothing significantly and drastically is changing in the Chinese economy. Mm. Now, I will now need to quantify what I mean by the long COVID effect in economics. And I think I'm getting a few ideas. Andrew Ferris is uh, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory and also joining us on the show this morning, Lashar, uh, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research. Thank you both.